a little boy came across a sheep stuck headfirst in a narrow trench beside a road. So using his hands and his belt, the boy rescued the trapped sheep, but no sooner had he done so than the sheep took a few stumbling steps and then a few joyful leaps before landing headfirst back into the same trench, buying helplessly. Now, this was a YouTube video, and so in the, co in the comments section uh, that accompanied the video, the following five posts were seen. One, that's the story of my life right there. Two, that's why Jesus called a sheep. Three, that's me and Jesus on a regular basis. Four, that's why Jesus said, sin no more lest a worse thing happen to you. Five, this is what we tend to do after Jesus drags us out of the ditch. We fall right back in and need to be saved again. Wretched sinners we are. Now, the young man in this story that Jesus told was stuck in a pit of his own mess in a far country. Now, his story says more about the heart of God than his own sinfulness. Some say that this should be entitled, this story should have been entitled, The Prodigal God, rather than The Prodigal Son, because it has more to do with the breadth of God's love than the depths of sinner's sin. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11, and we're not going to read the entire chapter, we'll read a few verses down. Jesus telling this story, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to celebrate. Jesus' teachings consistently attracted sinners while offending the religious. However, according to Timothy Keller, I quote him, our churches today do not have this same effect. The kind of sinners Jesus attracted are not attracted to our churches. We tend to draw, quote, conservative, button-down, moralistic people, while the licentious, the liberated, the broken, and the marginal avoid our churches. This is, this is his conclusion. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. Want to think about that for a moment? If our pastors are not preaching um, the same message and our, our parishioners, which would be you, are not practicing the same things that Jesus taught, then we are not declaring the same message that Jesus did. So here are four lessons that Jesus' parable of the prodigal son teach us. Lesson number one. You have all left the father's house a time or two. All of us have left the father's house a time or two. But if you're really honest, you will see yourself in this parable that Jesus told. Like a mirror that shows us our true selves, this parable is not just about a young man who disrespectfully demands his inheritance and then goes off and squanders it on alcohol and prostitutes. This is just a story, but it's not just a story about that. Jesus had two things in mind when telling this story. First, he wanted to point out to the rule breakers in his audience that they were the prodigal in the story. In departing from the worship of the true God to indulge in behaviors that were offensive to God, they had done the very same thing that the prodigal in the story did in demanding of his father what was left of his, inter of his, of his inheritance, I'm sorry, leaving home and then wasting it on alcohol and prostitutes. He was a rule breaker. Now, if you have ever broken any of God's rules and indulged in behaviors that were offensive to him, it is not hard to see how much you resemble the young man in this story. He broke all of the rules, rules of decency and morality, and he did what was offensive to God. Every rule breaker here this morning can identify with this younger son. Now, the second reason that Jesus told this parable was to point out to the rule keepers in the story, or I'm sorry, in his audience, the rule keepers in his audience, those who prided themselves in their own righteousness while being contemptuous of sinners, that they were the elder brother in the story. Rule keepers can easily identify with this older brother. 
And so our story opens up with this younger son requesting, requesting his fair share of his father's estate, which went against Jewish um, custom. And Jewish custom held that a father should never divide his estate too early. Let me quote from one of the Hebrew, Hebrew um, literature pieces, uh, Sirach chapter 33, verses 19 through 13. You will know that this was part of the um, extra-biblical uh, texts. I quote it. To son or wife, to brother or friend, do not give power over yourself as long as you live. And do not give your property to another, lest you change your mind and must ask for it. While you are still alive and have breath in you, do not let anyone take your place. At the time when you end the days of your life in the hour of death, then distribute your inheritance. End of quote. But the father in our story ends up granting the son his request, which is a picture of God respecting our free will. God has made us all with free will. We have the uh, the freedom to make our own choices, even when those choices, this is the beauty of God, he allows us to make our own choices, even when those choices are to our detriment, and even when those choices lead us further away from him. He willingly allows us to choose. So the father watched his younger son depart. The heavenly father watched him lose his money and his virtue or his substance in wild living. He watched severe economic hardship strike the land in which he had, to which he had strayed, leaving him homeless and hungry. He watched him find a job working for a Gentile, which was an abomination to Jews, and working on a pig farm, which was also an abomination to Jews, forcing him to survive on whatever the pigs left. You might say that he had hit rock bottom with no lower that, that he could, than he could go. I believe that that is a picture of the destiny of every rule breaker who strays from the Father to explore the far country of sin, and we have all been there and done that. And I don't hear an amen, which I should have heard, because we've all been there and we've all done that. Prone, to, yes, prone to wonder, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. We just sang that a while ago prone to leave the God I love. These were the words that were penned by Pastor Robert Robinson just before he became disillusioned with his faith and walked away from it. Walked away from his faith. Went back into a sinful lifestyle. And I'm told that he picked up traveling. He was traveling from place to place. And as God would have it, he was sitting right on a train right next to a woman who was actually reading something. He stopped and asked, asked the woman, what, what are you reading? And the woman repeated back to him these words, which she was reading. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. 
prone to leave the God I love. Words that this pastor himself had written many years ago. And so suddenly, with tears streaming down his face, he said, I am the man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give anything, I would give anything to experience again the joy that I knew back then. Jesus taught us that we are all rule breakers who have left the Father's house a time or two. That's our first lesson. The second lesson that we learn from this parable is that the rule breaker and the rule keeper are both loved equally and unconditionally by their father. Amen. Both the one who broke all the rules and the one who kept all the rules, they loved equally and unconditionally. The father loved the rule breaker enough to allow him his own choices. He could have stopped him. He didn't. He allowed him to have his own way, and he longed afterwards to watch him come back. He loved his son. And when he did come back, we're told that he ran to him, held him close, kissed his face, and never once, never once did he ask him, why did you leave? Where have you been? How could you have been so stupid? Those are not a part of the story at all. Instead, he ordered that they clean him up, Put the best clothes on him, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet, and throw the best party for him that money could afford. Now, if that isn't love, I don't know what is. Now, did the father love him any less because he broke the rules? No, not at all. But the father also loved the rule keeper, the one who didn't disrespect him, didn't wander off, didn't waste his money on alcohol and prostitutes, didn't break the rules of morality and duty, but instead he was a model of faithfulness, faithful service to his father. His father loved him greatly. But here's the truth. This young man thought that his father loved his other brother more than him because his father had lavished his brother with love and forgiveness that he didn't deserve. Now, it is dangerous when our rule-keeping takes precedence over God's forgiveness for the rule-breaker. And if we're honest, some of us know deep down that we are just like that. Now, did the father love him any more because he kept the rules? No. But that is not to say that he wasn't loved. He was. So the father loved the rule breaker and the rule keeper equally, although neither one of them loved the father for who he was, for the right reasons. One loved his father only for what he could get from him. The other thought that rule keeping was one and the same with loving the father. Now here's what Tim Keller says about that. I quote him. Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping all of them diligently. And he ends by saying, Careful obedience to God's law 
may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. Here's lesson number three. Both the rule breaker and the rule keeper can always return to the Father's embrace. But when he came to himself, Jesus said, when he came to himself, this younger son, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Do you notice how many times the pronoun I and me occur in this passage? We're going to come back to that in a little bit. I think that the pivoting line in this whole parable would be the words, but when he came to himself. But when he came to himself. When reality hit him, when he sobered up, when the thrill finally wore off, when he became aware that he had hit rock bottom. Now in leadership theory, this kind of, this kind of realization is called defining reality, which I'm told is the first job of a leader. The first job of a leader is to define reality, meaning that he must first self-assess, and then he must assess his context before he can move forward and before he can even lead people forward. Now, this story teaches us that the first job of a rule breaker and a rule keeper is to define their reality. Define their reality in terms of their condition before God. Every person always needs to do that. Here's what J.P. Morgan says. I quote him. The first thing you must do if you're going somewhere is to decide that you're not going to stay where you are. That seems rather rudimentary, but it's so true. If you're going to go somewhere, the first thing you must do is that you must decide, I am not going to stay where, I'm at, where I am. I am going to go somewhere. And so you must decide that I'm not going to stay in my addiction. I'm not going to stay in my alcoholism. I'm not going to stay in my pornography. I'm not going to stay in my affair. I'm not going to stay in my religiosity. I'm not going to stay in my sin. That is because I have been hit with the realization that I was better off in my father's house where there was bread than I am in this pig pen where I am dying of hunger. Now here are five not so easy steps of returning home to the father from wherever it is that you have strayed. Step number one. Take ownership of your reality. Take ownership of your reality. Notice that in every case that I just mentioned, there is a tiny pronoun, my, which speaks of taking ownership. In assessing your reality before God, your priority is to take ownership of wherever you are in relation to where you used to be. That applies to both the rule breaker and the rule keeper. Assess your reality. Take ownership. Step two, 
decide on your direction. Decide where you're headed, where you're going. Decide to come back to the Father. Notice what the prodigal says. I will arise and go to my Father. He made a decision of where he was headed. Decide on your direction is step number two. Step number three, start moving in the direction that you decided. Get up from wherever you are and return to your Father. Now, you may need some help in getting back on your feet, as we all do from time to time. But do whatever you have to do to get up from wherever you are and get back to the Father. Step number four, verbalize your humble confession before God. In other words, use your mouth to say something to God. What you say to God is the same that this prodigal did. Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. Notice that sin is not just what you do. Sin is a violation of God's laws, but sin is offending God as well as offending heaven. I have sinned against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verbalize your confession to God. We sometimes have a way of dancing around things. We don't really want to take ownership and confess, so we dance around it with all kinds of excuses. Verbalize your humble confession to God. And then step number five, which is, I think, one of the most difficult of the five steps. Let the Father love on you. Notice that his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. But notice, let me ask you this, did the son resist this? Did he resist the father running to him, falling on his neck, kissing him, and hugging him? No, he did not. He let his father love away his unworthiness. And sometimes we have to do that. God, I'm unworthy, and sometimes, in our unwor- sometimes our unworthiness becomes our pride. Our unworthiness says, no, I am not worthy to do this, and this becomes a pride thing between us and God. No, this younger son let the father love away his unworthiness. Unlike his older brother who refused to let his father love on him. And what, how much did he lose out on by not allowing his father to love on him. Final lesson, lesson number four. We must all guard against being either brother. We all have that responsibility to guard against being either brother. How do you guard against becoming um, either a rule breaker or a rule keeper? We do so by staying committed to discipleship. We, stay, we, 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 we guard against this by staying committed to sharing the life of Christ together. Because you see, at any time, any one of us, you or I, can become the rule-breaking brother. Any one of us, at any time, can become that. Straying from the Father's house, to the strange country where we squander away our possessions and our substance in sin.
Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That speaks of every one of us. Secondly, at any time, any one of us can become the rule-keeping brother whose religiosity takes the place of loving God for who he really is. Keeping the rules becomes more important than loving God. So what will keep us from becoming either brother is staying in the Father's house where there is discipleship that happens, where we let the Father love on us and love us into perfect love through what we call discipleship. Here's the bottom line of our message. There's room in the Father's house for both the rule breaker and the rule keeper. I want to say to you this morning that whether you are a rule breaker or a rule keeper, you can always come home to the Father because that is what he desires.